Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to your favorite Kansas government and politics podcast, Chillin' in the State House. I am Andrew Ball, one half of the Topeka Capital Journal State House team, joined by my better half, Jason Tidd. Jason, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. It seems like we record more chillins in the state house every time there's snow on the ground. <laughs> That's well, and it's a, it's bad because we haven't recorded as much as we would have liked the last few weeks. It's so. because Mother Nature didn't give us enough snowstorms. Exactly. I like that. We're gonna go with that. It's not my organizational fault. It's, it, it's because nature. the snow is giving us more time because it disrupts what the legislature is doing. Perhaps. Hopefully not. And we are joined by friend of the podcast, John Hanna of the Associated Press. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Jason. Good to have you back. It's good to be here. Well, so we haven't recorded in a few weeks, but uh, there has not been a lack of things to talk about. And I think the way we're going to move through a few different topic areas, but I think it makes the most sense to start with the topic area that we probably have covered more than any other on this podcast, and that is the COVID-19 pandemic. It is still, well... There's a debate there over is a whether debate. it's still ongoing. Yeah, and, and there is some policy. Uh, uh, the policy debate certainly is ongoing. Jason, you have spent a lot of time with a couple COVID bills that were percolating this last week. What is the crux of all this, really? The crux of it is that conservatives think the government overreached during the pandemic and they want to prevent it from happening again, whether that is with a new unknown variant that has yet to emerge or whether it's with the next pandemic 100 years from now or whatever else could crop up. Well, okay, riddle me this, though, because... I thought we already dealt with the issue of government overreach, the COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, there was a whole committee devoted to the topic uh, over... Uh, <laughs> the Committee on Government yeah, Overreach. I mean, <laughs> well, uh, we had Funny a enough, session. that's its actual name, by and, the way. And we had changes to the emergency management law. Why, why are, what are we still talking about? Well, because that committee did not have enough support for a veto override of their priorities. And they were able to negotiate a deal with the governor that she signed what they sent out. Uh, And it was, if you ask Republicans, some liken it to the first two rungs on their ladder of combating government overreach. Uh, Or maybe you could call it a watered-down version of what they wanted to get across the line. But when we asked the governor why she signed it... I I can't remember if it was the exact quote or a paraphrase, but she said she signed it to make the issue go away. 
Uh, and narrator and, voice, it did not. And, and the issue and, hasn't. And, and in politics, uh, that tactic often does not work. And I mean, the issue did not go away, but they have not. Republicans haven't coalesced around a single bill or a group of bills so far this session to attack this issue. I mean, we, we have several in committee, uh, one that made it out of committee temporarily, and we're starting to see more talk on the issue now. But so far, no bills have made it to the governor's desk. So what is the, what's the bill that made it out of committee? Because as I understand it, this is a pretty comprehensive piece of legislation that gets at a lot of the kind of threads that have been discussed in this building over the last 18 months or so. Well, so it was, I think, like a 25-page bill. So, John, let me know if I forget any pieces. But <laughs> it partially targeted uh, decisions by local units of government to take various actions to mitigate the pandemic. Uh, stuff like masks and quarantines, uh the mask part was somewhat complex. It was greatly simplified by an amendment from Mike Thompson to just simply ban mask mandates by yeah, no all man- levels of government. No mask mandates in schools, by cities, by counties, by the state. No mask mandates. Which certainly made it easier than the religious exemptions that were already going to be pretty easy to get for masks. Uh, they separated this portion into a separate bill through a gut and go but there is a piece to let businesses get compensation if their business is commandeered or used to fight a pandemic in other words if the business is shut down completely or pretty strongly restricted this would require the city or the county to discount their property taxes for every day they were shut down or restricted or, or or even if there were a mask mandate which are now is now which are now banned, banned <laughs> a, a mask mandate would be enough for a business to claim compensation from the government and to be clear this was not retroactive which is a debate we got into last year uh, to- and, and, and the claim is doing this would make making it a cost benefit analysis would make the local units of government think twice before shutting down or impacting a business. Though, of course, public health officials already say they take that decision very seriously. Well, and then there are provisions in there that mirror uh, what what was passed in Senate Bill 40. You The people, sweeping overhaul of the state's emergency management Exactly. Law. You could sue as an individual or a business. You could sue a local government, a school board. Uh, re- to resist uh, a restriction, you would have to get a hearing within three days, um, and the judiciary would have to rule would have to, to rule within a reasonable amount of time. Which you could say is better for the judiciary because it's no longer the seven day ruling right. that was originally required and constitutionally questionable. Well, and then the other thing that is in this bill it kind of in the back page 21 um is a provision that takes the broad religious exemption that the legislature enacted and the governor signed for workers to 
COVID vaccines extends that to all childhood immunizations, and it adds a provision that says schools can't separate vaccinated and unvaccinated kids. And schools can't have vaccine passports, right. which I take as schools couldn't even inquire about your vaccination status. Well, they certainly couldn't inquire about the parents' religious belief. I mean, if the school can't create a vaccination passport, the way they define it would essentially mean they couldn't have a spreadsheet of which students are vaccinated or not. And I, I think that part is specific to the COVID vaccine. Uh, but violation of that would be a misdemeanor crime. So, yeah, they're really uh, they're th- This is I think one of the interesting things here is that there's a sense that the Republicans in the legislature have incrementally over time moved more and more toward the no restrictions ever camp. Um, you know, they started out at the start of the pandemic, you know, it was local government should make these decisions. Local officials should make these decisions. And then when the local decision, the local then officials they, made the decisions they didn't want. Yes. They then when, when they road. started making the, yes, you're right. When they started, when they started imposing some of these restrictions, Repu- many Republicans rethought that position and now are at the place where they don't want mask mandates. They don't, the funny interesting thing about that debate was that at the end this is the senate judiciary committee the members got to the end of the discussion of that bill and uh elaine bowers who's a republican from concordia said well i've gotten some concerns from the ag community that this would even prevent uh, an aggressive response to to livestock diseases, anthrax, brucellosis, hoof and mouth or disease. And she said, you know, is that what this does? And they really didn't know, so they're researching it. But, of course, that was not the intent. And they still passed the bill not knowing whether this could affect the agricultural community. Well, and, and, you know, and to be fair, when you get into situations of livestock disease outbreaks, for example, something like brucellosis, what happens is you round up the infected animals and you slaughter them and you bury the carcasses. The, the, the animal disease outbreak part is interesting because we did get a news release that same day, I believe, from the Department of Agriculture about a it, wild bird. The, the more infectious avian flu that's going around. Yes. So uh, if you have chickens, make sure that they aren't uh, making friends in the coop with wild birds. Wow. Ain't nothing more chill than bucellosis and uh, avian flu. Um, Really quick on the school piece. My understanding is it wouldn't apply to private schools, which is interesting in part because I was looking at Kansas City, Kansas public schools. If you want a religious exemption to a vaccine mandate, you just need to fill out your child's name, the date your name, what school year it is, and you get a religious exemption to vaccines. Well, and I think but, it's, a, it's not a super rigorous process for a lot of districts already. Right. It, but the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas, their Catholic schools require a parent to write a letter explaining their religious exemption 
because the Catholic Church does not have a blanket uh, religious position opposed to vaccination. I've read my Bible cover to cover, and I don't recall anything about the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine. Maybe that's just me, though. Um, well, and real quick, uh, there is a there's a there's a bill in the Public Health and Welfare Committee that would apply to infectious disease outbreaks that are not just limited to COVID. Correct? I mean, uh, whooping cough. I don't know. I, I, it could be anything. Really, yeah. that would be implicated, and the Secretary of Health and Environment would be would be uh, have no real power in order to respond to it. So. It, it made me think of the Shigala outbreak at the uh, Tanganyika Wildlife Come Park. Come again? Shigala. Uh, I, my Gesundheit. understanding is it's close to E. coli, uh, but there was that uh, water park as part of the zoo-like Tanganyika Wildlife Park in Goddard near Wichita, uh, and a lot of children got sick from it. And the park shut down on their own while it was investigated. Uh, but had they not chosen to shut down and the health department stepped in, uh, un- under this, KDHE really would have no involvement in that. And also my understanding is if the local health department decided to shut down the water park while investigating a disease outbreak, they would then have to compensate the business owners. Interesting times. Well, and uh, not to, uh, it's hard to think of a good segue from E. coli to, well, I guess sometimes E. coli is transmitted through food, which currently if you buy from the grocery store in Kansas, <laughs> there's a sales tax on that. I, you know, that's a little <laughs> bumpy there, Andrew. <laughs> but, but we'll, but, but, we'll but go with But the food sales that. tax is also having a bumpy ride at the moment. There, yes. See, Jason saved me, I think, is really the... But can uh, you save the food sales tax, or can Laura Kelly save it? Well, you know, that's an interesting question, because before the legislature convened in January, um, and... You know, when Laura Kelly was clearly working on a proposal uh, and an announcement for Monday, Derek Schmidt, the uh, attorney general and the presumed Republican nominee for governor, you know, issued a letter or a declaration that legislators ought to cut or eliminate the food sales tax. So it appeared to have some bipartisan support, but Republican legislators very quickly said, well, why should we just do this for groceries? And, you know, the, the bill, one of the bills that they took a look at was a little broader than groceries, included food and restaurants, I believe. But they're also, they're also interested in just a general sales tax reduction. And that now they've been, of course, galloping off in various directions on other proposed tax cuts. And, you know, once once you get started, they're, they're kind of like potato chips. You can't stop with just one, right? Once you start considering stuff, I mean, I, and I don't mean to make light of this, but for example, if you start talking about tax cuts, the the conventional wisdom bipartisan wisdom is the tax that people hate the most is the property tax so you know then you start if you're starting if you're talking about sales and income and people actually don't mind the sales tax even though 
it's regressive because you pay it in little dribs and drabs. If I mean, if uh, people mind all taxes, but that's the one that's easiest to. Uh, don't pardon the pun. Stomach. Um, I was going to say chew, but yes, <laughs> swallow. Uh, you know, income taxes. Income taxes. People dislike them because it's a bite out of their paychecks, or uh, you know they have to pay quarterly or you know that sort of thing so they get a big bill but property taxes whether you make any money or not off your property if you own it you pay it and two lump sums and correct me if i'm wrong but you have to write a check for the property tax specifically for sales tax and income tax you're paying it but you it's not as difficult as taking a lump and writing it to the government. Well, yes, and except to be clear, if you have a home mortgage, many home mortgage companies will prorate it to a monthly rate and add that to your mortgage payment. That's what my mortgage company does. Same. Um, or if you rent, you know, it's obviously passed along to you, but it's in the Yes, it's hidden rent. somewhere. As I, <laughs> you you the, never know. The loan renter at the table <laughs> have to put that in. Um, well, and I mean, I guess to, to John's point, this was, and I think we talked about this on the air. First off, this was the problem last time they attempted to cut the food sales tax and it was a cut, not an elimination. And also I think there's been a little bit of chafing between chambers because the Senate has been the one that's more aggressive in slapping on all these different tax provisions. Whereas in the house, I mean, I don't know. I want to say they want a clean bill, but I think there's some frustration as to the. Well, when it comes to tax committees, the Senate Tax Committee is the only one that has passed a bill out. I don't believe it's been touched by the Senate floor, but the Senate Tax Committee did not pass a clean bill. They, they, Republicans and Democrats both wanted to add various tax priorities to that bill, and it really raised the fiscal note on it. In the House, we have. Four different competing plans. Uh, one is scheduled to be worked this week. It's House Bill 2711. Uh, that's from Rep. Adam Smith. He's the chair of the tax committee. And the expectation is that amendments will follow to it. But my understanding is the House is committed to getting a clean bill out of committee. Assuming they do get something out of the House and that it's clean, unclear what the senate would do with it well and and look the issue with any tax cutting bill is for example you get into a debate let's say in the senate dennis Pyle stands up and talks about eliminating income taxes on social security income you get to the end of the discussion of that he calls for a roll call vote who wants to be recorded as voting against helping retirees living on a fixed income i mean in the abstract, none of these ideas in terms of a tax cut, yeah, you want to give people a break, especially ordinary people. And so there's that there's that issue. And part of the thing here is the Kansas legislature does its budgeting separately from its revenue raising, and that's probably true in most legislatures. There's not a process like, in theory, there is in Congress where you pass a resolution basically setting the parameters 
of what you're going to spend and what the budget is going to look like. And then you go in and you do the actual appropriating. That doesn't, now, of course, the difference is the federal government prints money and can run a deficit and Kansas can't. But there's no agreement ahead of time on the outlines of the budget. It just kind of emerges in the discussion. And we're seeing that with this discussion of putting a billion dollars into the state pension system for teachers and government workers to kind of shore that up and get it to uh, full funding for its long-term commitments a little faster. You know, you do that and suddenly you've taken a billion dollars in surplus funds and put them to the project. That's a billion dollars you can't use for something else. Well, we've already committed, you know, a lot of money potentially if the if the mystery company chooses Kansas to this major manufacturing project that uh, would ostensibly be uh, coming to Kansas. And this this has been this this has been a persistent problem for the legislature and state government. It was it actually was a lot worse when I started back in the Jurassic Age because they sliced the budget up into fifteen or sixteen separate bills. So they discussed all these pieces of legislation separately at different times, and it was even harder to have a fix on the total. The good thing about that system was you spent more time on each part of the budget in the House and the Senate debating them. You got into more detail than they do now. But the bad part was it was even harder to have a very good picture on the bottom line. And you know, absent some early debate where they say this is absolutely what we're going to spend. This is what the budget is going to look like in outline. Absent doing that up front, you know, the, the, what you get is a, where it just kind of emerges over time. And, you know, sometimes you get to the, the last part of the session, the wrap-up part of the session, and legislators are going, oh, crap, it's out of whack. <laughs> we need to, we need to, we can't be this generous or, you know, what, whatever. They have to go back in and undo some of the stuff they were doing. I've stunned you into silence. I see that. <laughs> Thinking of a way to transition to schools. <laughs> well, schools are the largest part of the budget. Public and, schools are and, pu- and schools all have sports teams. Yes, they do. Students play in the sports teams. Students play on and, the sports teams. Uh, and there just, are boys and there are girls sports and there are co-ed sports. And I'm just going to dispense with the charade of trying to do a transition. <laughs> um here, here I'll make it. Let's talk the about the word. ongoing debate about transgender athletes in public schools and in colleges. Let's there we let's go. move there. Yeah. Well, and, and this is not a new debate, and it's one that is happening. Well, the interesting thing is it's not a new debate. We did it last session. The bill was passed, vetoed by the governor, and the Senate could not override her veto. And the interesting thing is, unlike a lot of these culture war kinds of issues it's still a live debate a year later the governor of iowa just signed legislation that uh this exact legislation that bans transgender athletes from girls and women's sports uh florida is weighing whether or not to pass a law that gets at you know how much teachers can talk about gender and sexuality in uh particularly like grade school classes 
in Texas, I, there was an executive order that gets at transgender Where apparently there are, now, there are now instances in which their department, their Department of Children and Families, whatever it's called, is actually launched some investigations of, apparently of, of parents who are getting gender affirming care for their kids as I think the governor there suggested it was child abuse and that kind of led to that that um, I, I think this is an interesting debate because it reminds me of the debate over same-sex marriage circa 2002-2003 where you started having courts uh, Iowa's one I, Iowa was one I think Massachusetts and Hawaii were others in various states and you had this rush of midwestern southern and other states i i think they're all over the place but a lot of midwestern and southern states passing constitution amendments to their state constitutions saying that the state was not going to recognize same-sex marriage and there was a real sense at that time that that was the time to act because sooner or later public opinion, and most people thought later, frankly, that public opinion would shift to where 10, 15, 20, 25, I think people were thinking toward the long end of that spectrum, that same-sex marriage would be more, far more politically acceptable. So you would lock in this more conservative social standard into your state constitution you know, uh, and I, the argument would be you would staunch the the drift away from Judeo-Christian values or 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 that sort of thing. But uh, of course, what happened was the support for same-sex marriage grew much more quickly, and then the U.S. Supreme Court stepped in in 2015. Here, I think um, you get a you get a sense from Republicans who think uh, that. There are still many Americans who are uncomfortable with uh, uh, gender transition for kids that, you know, that a lot of them argue that kids are too young to know that sort of thing. Um, Parents of transgender kids will tell you differently that they tend to know earlier than others think they do. Um, And, you know, Tom Witt, who is the executive director of Equality Kansas, argues that this has become an issue because now it's unacceptable to pick on married gay couples. And this is the last vulnerable target left. That's his argument. Of course, the other folks say they're preserving competition in women's sports. Well, and I mean, I think the the interesting thing about this... Republicans clearly believe that this is a politically advantageous issue for yes. them. I guess, personally talking to voters, I don't really hear that. But what's interesting is there are not any examples that we know of of this being an issue in Kansas where a transgender athlete comes in. There. At now, least not any public examples. Yeah. Nobody has, has specifically pointed to a sport, a team, an athlete, a championship. And the sense is that if there are transgender athletes, it's a relative handful. But I think the other interesting thing is 
the the role of of the Kansas State High School Activities Association in all this because they do have policies on what happens if 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 there is a transgender athlete that wants to compete. But uh, talking with a Republican senator who voted no on this bill last year, there is also a frustration. He's frustrated that Keisha hasn't really stepped up to acknowledge this as an issue and maybe take into account the fact that the legislature is pursuing this bill and and maybe taking their policies into account. Um, and I, it, it's kind of an interesting another chapter in government regulations and what the legislature wants to Look, do. Look, that tension between the legislature and the High School Activities Association is, it has been on and off there for decades. Um, you know, occasionally you pop up, there have been criticism for things like how it limits or prevents kids from training over the summer and whether that hurts a kid who, for example, might be an Olympic swimmer. And, you know, it just so happened that back in the day, uh, Senator Vicki Schmidt, she's now the insurance commissioner, had a son who was a pretty good swimmer. Um, and so she knew about these issues and was very conversant and could talk fluently about them. And, and you had a few, you had a few legislators who were those who were parents of kids who were into sports and really good, and they could talk about all this stuff. And hence you got these discussions about whether these policies were appropriate or not in this day and age. And, so, yeah, there's always, whenever you hand over some big chunk of what could be government regulation to an outside entity, you get this tension when they don't move as quickly as you as a legislator would like. Thinking of, thinking of examples about, I mean, how we don't have examples that lawmakers can point to as a fairness issue for girls and women's sports in Kansas. Uh, we do have examples of trans students who die by suicide. I mean, I, when I was a breaking news reporter in Wichita, I remember a high school student killed themselves. I th- believe it was in the high school bathroom. Uh, so we, I, I don't know personally how trans and LGBT bullying plays out in high school. But I know that there are a lot of speakers who have spoken to that and how this bill could impact students negatively. Yeah, I mean, that's something, there was a hearing on this bill earlier, well, I guess last week probably, by the time you were listening to this, that, that and that was the most, I think, common thing that people well, raised. Well, and, and the advocates will tell you that the LGBTQ and the the trans rights advocates will tell you that when you're dealing with young people who are um, who are identifying in with a gender other than the one that the phrases they were assigned at birth, and I know there's a political discussion about that kind of language, but you you have a kid who, for example. Uh, everybody has assumed for the first 10 or 12 years uh, is a boy. Uh, She identifies as female, says so. You know, you have this whole 
dynamic where parents and everybody around them are struggling with, you know, pronouns and names and how accepting is the school going to be? How are my friends going to be? You know, and and the argument is this is who I am versus how the world sees me. And so those are all very different and and you get to navigate all those through adolescence that makes it probably uh twice as bad and this same week we had the news of a lawsuit uh, i believe it was the fort riley middle school where a teacher refused to use the preferred name and pronoun i believe of a trans student and was punished by the school and that teacher is now suing yeah so very and much that gets into the issue. issue of that gets into the issue of religious belief and conservatives worried that um, in in a case like that somebody will not be able to say no that's against my religious belief. Now we could have a whole panel of rabbis and reverends and imams in here to discuss. <laughs> the moral and religious implications of all this. But we don't have that kind it, of time. And have a really robust discussion. If I were to ask you, instead of calling me Jason, to call me Jocelyn, would that violate your religious belief? Well, I... I, 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 I'm I just mean, curious what the argument for that is. Personally, no, it would not. But there are folks... There are conservatives who would argue that God made male and female and you were formed in a certain way and you are essentially spitting in the eye of God for going against how, in their mind, he made you. Now, I understand there's a discussion about science and gender dysphoria and you can... The argument, the, the medical science here is that you can look male or look female, but not feel male or female, not be male or female, even though you look. That's, that's the argument. And please, I am not a scientist on this, but this is from all the reading and discussing, this is the general understanding. And there are just conservative Christians and other conservative religious folks who just do not buy that. And the question is, in a religiously pluralistic society, how do you balance that right to not buy it as a matter of religious belief versus the very real right everybody has not to be discriminated against? I mean... If you and that's where we're – this is the whole debate. It, it it kind of reminds me of if you drive west on I-70 from here, once you get around Abilene, there is a billboard next to a, uh, I believe, a sex toy store. Uh, the billboard is religious, like I believe God is watching or something like that. Uh, and it's. I thought, I thought it was some memory served. It was something like, Jesus saves and pornography destroys. I, I, that's the one I remember. Uh, but it it gets to can the government say ban a business that they think is morally 
doesn't well, follow and, Christian beliefs. And 50 years ago, the answer to that question would have been a very definitive yes. Um, the police could raid X-rated movie theaters and bookstores. Um, and, I mean, you know, the Internet's kind of thrown all that out the window. But um, Chilling the state house does not condone or advocate, uh, condone or disprove of any of this behavior. We take no stance. I mean, thinking about Don't sports. Don't us, please. And examples of fairness issues. The one that I always heard most growing up was private versus public schools. I know that my coaches took extra pride whenever we beat a private school in anything. Uh, I was mostly on the Scholars Bowl team, so... <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. Don't know that uh, it will... <laughs> actually, that would, that would be where, like, money. a private school, in theory, would have a really big advantage, yeah, that's true. right? Well, they would I, argue. The, the argument was that private schools get to recruit players the rumor that i always heard was that a private school in southeast kansas accepted one sibling because they were good at a specific sport and rejected the other sibling because they added no value to the sports so and and i understand that keisha is taking up that issue but if lawmakers were concerned about fairness and not to try to say they aren't concerned about fairness, but that seems like the bigger issue that would affect students across the state. Well, now now you're getting way above my sports ball knowledge. But <laughs> um, no, I, I you know the argument the argument for these bills is that even if you have uh, transitioned from your male identity at birth to your female self, the argument is, you still have an inherent uh, advantage over cis- cisgendered women um, because you had all this male stuff over here. There is, of course, the implication that the transgender community really, really pushes back hard and fights against, you know, this notion that trans women are not, are less female than cisgendered women that's you know that's that's a thing they often have to address when they're talking about this stuff um and it's just it it is it is out there because um because there's a sense that a lot of voters are not comfortable yet with things like trans athletes in sports trans students in which bathrooms they use any that, that there's still some level of discomfort and where there is discomfort uh there's an issue and that will that becomes a political issue a really fascinating debate and we will have much more on it, I think, in the coming weeks uh, when that and basically every other bill of consequence will be taken up in the Kansas legislature. For more Statehouse coverage, you can head on over to cjonline.com or you can follow us on Twitter at cjonline. We're also on Facebook. Go like us there uh, for all your updates. And Jason, where can they find you for your updates? At Jason underscore Tid. That's that's on Twitter. 
and I am at Andrew Ball, B-A-H-L. And John, if they want your updates and story or tweet form. Uh, tweets are at, AP, at APJD Hannah, and the, uh, the stories are at www.apnews.com backslash, we're doing the hand movement, Kansas, all spelled out. And if you like listening to Children in the State House, we will really try to have more regular episodes, uh, news cycle dependent. But you can go anywhere you get your podcasts Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or you can go to cjonline.com and we post our episodes there. Jason, John, a pleasure as always. Thank you, Andrew. Yes, thank you, Andrew. <laughs> For my bad transitions. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of the theme song in the background. <laughs> well, that the, Maybe you can sing to get I, us into it. I can. I, 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 I've been, I, in, amongst my theater friends, I've been banned from singing on stage. <laughs> we'll take that under advisement. But we thank you all for listening. We'll see you right back here next week, hopefully, same time, same place. Have a good one, y'all.